0: well hello everybody welcome glad you're here welcome to another wednesday night live stream with me your friendly fishmonger dan from dansfish.com good to have you all here i look forward to this every wednesday seven o'clock mountain time and i'm glad to be back with y'all um and i i'm thrilled to see candy here candy i'm so glad you could make it i i know that uh your, your boss is off on a trip, so I'm glad you could escape and, and make it to this one. Good to see you. Good to see you. Lumpy Dog. Hey, Lumpy Dog number one. Richard Crackle. Hey, Richard. Real Mob Guppy. And Daryl Deemer. Hey, Daryl. Um, good to see everybody in the house. Um, So today, we're going to talk about uh, something to make your fish basically superhuman except for their fish so what is it is it super fishdom i don't know but um make your fish stronger help them out all that so uh i'll get into that in just a moment before i do uh just quick promotion stuff if you want to know what fish i have for sale you can check out dancefish.com or you can go to getgills.com and check out the dancefish store um For anyone that has fish, fish supplies that they want to sell or is looking to buy some stuff, you can list all the stuff you have for sale at getgills.com. Check it out, getgills.com. And uh, yeah, that's all the promo stuff, I think. Uh, The last thing is they were now in warm weather shipping, so shipping is a lot less expensive now. You can get a box of fish shipped to you for as little as 15 bucks right now, and that includes any heat packs and styro liners and the work. So shipping is a lot more affordable right now. If winter shipping prices have been an issue for you, uh, just want to let you know it's cheaper now. So uh, last thing before we get into uh, this stuff and why I have it is that if you have a question or comment that you want me to get to and respond to, if you make it at dan's fish so it highlights for me i'll see it and get right to it and we can have a nice chat 39 watching not bad not bad when the cat's away when the quarry's away the kids will play yeah so glad you're all here so i'm gonna get right into it um, and talk about fulvic acid the first thing i'm gonna do is show you and talk you through just a couple scientific studies that have been done on fulvic acid and the benefits it has for fish and then i'm gonna show you a little bit about what fulvic acid actually is and then we'll talk a little bit after that about why how fulvic acid is beneficial so we'll see that it is beneficial learn what it is and then talk very briefly about what it actually does that that creates the benefit so that's kind of what we're going to do today. Hey, Bob Kaler, good to see you. And this was all spurred actually by Kaler Aquatic's um, comment, I believe last week. It might have been the week before, but I think it was last week when he asked about what I thought about vitamins and dosing fish with vitamins. There's some uh, controversy about that. And I talked a little bit about fulvic acid at that time. And that just made me think, you know what? This is something that isn't out there in the hobbyist ether. It's not something we talk about a lot. So I'm going to go ahead and, and talk about it. So this is the stuff I use. I'll, I'll get a I'll, I'll link up where I get it from. I just get it, I think, on Amazon or eBay. Um, and why I get this one as opposed to other kinds and things like that a little later on. By the way, nothing here is sponsored. Um... None of the products I'm recommending, even though I'm doing this, they're not going to pay me to do this. It's nothing like that. It's just that this stuff has helped me a lot. I uh, have success with some delicate species, um, landing some fish that have reputations for being super delicate and hard to do. So uh, I, I believe it really helps. All right. So here we go. The first thing we're going to look at, I've got some notes here. Um, help me out. The first thing we're going to look at is an experiment that was done with some loaches. Okay, so let me share this with you so you can see this and I'll also link it down below. Now this is just an abstract. Um, The full article Um, is available at the link I just posted. You can go to the abstract and and search up the the full article from there if you so desire. But basically, what a group of scientists did is they took some large-scale loaches um, and they did an experiment. They broke them into four groups. And in those four groups, they gave group one zero fulvic acid. Group two got 0.5% fulvic acid in its food, I assume by weight, group three got 1.5 and group four got 2% fulvic acid in its food. So a control group of zero and then little increased amounts from there. And what they were measuring was how this affected um, the intestinal health of the fish and therefore the growth rate of the fish. If it has a healthy intestine, it can absorb nutrients better and in, in that case, um, it'll grow faster because it's getting more nutrients per amount of food eaten, right? And I think this is a food fish and they're trying to grow it, you know, as quickly as possible. So here's what they found that um, the fish that got 1.5% fulvic acid had much better ability to process nutrients from the food they ate than the other fish two percent they still had a good ability but the it was like diminishing returns once they got up to two percent what they found was a lot less aeromonas in the fish and as a result partly a result of that um, there was a lot more of the beneficial bacteria in their intestine the lactobacillus bacteria that that you want in your intestine. So basically bad bacteria was less in the fish that were getting fulvic acid and beneficial bacteria was more than in those that didn't get fulvic acid. So that's what they measured and because of that um they figured that the fish was able to uptake nutrients better. And this wasn't a small study. There were 42,058 samples taken. This was a rigorous scientific study. So it wasn't just, hey, I've got three fish. I'm going to do some tests. This was a real thing. And that's, that's what they found there, which is kind of impressive. Now, the next two articles I'm just going to briefly show you are um, having to do with carp. So what they would do is they would take some carp and here's the, here's the articles. Here's the first one. Let me link it here in case anyone is interested in knowing more. Hopefully this is interesting and not just super boring. (laughs) We're not going to get in the weeds too far guys. So, and when we're done here, we'll, um, you know, just talk general fish stuff and take questions. So if this isn't your bag, don't worry, we'll be off this pretty soon. So these are the two studies that were done on carp. And basically what they did was they took a bunch of carp and they divided them into groups and they purposely infected the carp with Aeromonas bacteria uh, to see what the effect was. And here was the effect. Um, those treated with The uh, most fulvic acid had much, much less (laughs) of a death rate, is basically what happened. The mortality rate of the fish without any fulvic acid given was almost half. It was 46.6%. Those that were given a little fulvic acid, 33% of those died. Those were given a little more fulvic acid, 20% died. And those that were given the greatest amount of fulvic acid, 13% died. So that is the kind of study that was done on fish health here. And so there's something about the fulvic acid that is either killing the bacteria or allowing the fish to be stronger and having the fish be able to fight off the bacteria uh, better than those fish without it. So... That's what they found, basically, in these studies. Um, And in these studies, they did two different types of Aromonas. One was uh, Salomonasida, which is a very common form. And the other one was Hydrophila. And this is very common in our aquariums. So it's it's good to know that fulvic acid can help your fish um, overcome those bacteria because they're so common. And then here's the last one. Um, which is about how fulvic acid um, kind of increases the lifespan of fish. Um, this one was kind of a little funky. I feel like this one needs a lot more work, but it basically took fish and a, a round worm, a nematode, and looked at the effects of fulvic acid and, and how it could help fish um, survive in extreme environments was the takeaway from this one. So I just, I want to show you guys those articles just so that you know that this isn't just lore. So often in our hobby, I feel like uh, things are passed down, things are said, and they're just accepted and uh, repeated and become the mythology of the hobby without any real scientific studies to back them up. Whereas um, this has some real scientific studies, and these are just a few. There's been a lot more major studies that have happened. So Fulvic acid appears from these studies to be very beneficial. So very briefly, I want to talk about what it is and then kind of how it helps our fish. And then we'll we'll move on from there into how to actually use it, how to get it to your fish. Um, but first let's look at this. So this is an article um, that basically fulvic acid is best known for its use in agriculture. So this is an article um, by Ryan Zadow from Maximum Yield Canada, which is an agricultural magazine. And this is the part that I think is useful. It talks about what this stuff is. So organic matter is anything that isn't alive, but that can decay. Humic matter is stuff that's rotted, but still has some rotting to do. Then here's where we get into um, what this stuff is. So basically if you think of peat, peat is like a humic substance, right? It's almost completely uh, degraded and there's not a lot more biological decomposition that's going to happen. And because of that, it has some good antibacterial properties. Humic acids are the, uh, Part of that that is soluble, but only under certain conditions. Whereas fulvic acids are water soluble in basically all conditions. So that's that's very briefly the difference between humic acids and fulvic acids and humus and and all these things that we run we're going to run into when um, we start researching what fulvic acid should we use? Here's a, here's a link to that article that I just posted down there. Um, So when I started getting into fulvic acid, the reason was I was keeping a bunch of like wild type bettas and licorice gouramis and things like that, that have a reputation for being very difficult in the aquarium. People say, Hey, you have to keep that fish at like 4.0 pH, or it's going to get bacterial infection and die well there are some systems where you can auto dose acid into your aquarium system and uh and keep those fish that way but they they seem very precarious especially in like an auto water change system how are you going to keep the concentration of acid such that the ph isn't constantly bouncing around and things like that um so I didn't wanna have to keep my pH super low for these fish. I wanted to find another way to keep them without having to make them go through the yo-yo of pH up and down and the stress of that shock and all that stuff. So I started looking into it and it became apparent to me that part of why the tannins that are released from peat moss and all these things that we use in our aquariums are so beneficial is because of the fulvic acid that's released. And so I thought, well, what if I can just give them fulvic acid? Um, the, the humic acid isn't as water soluble and it's actually pretty, it, it's kind of what gives that, that, that dark color. It can be really dark and it's hard to see the fish through it. And it's not taken up by the as easily. So humic acid has a much higher molecular weight. What that means is it's, it's, it's a much larger molecule than fulvic acid. So it's harder for the cells to uptake it, to utilize it. So it's it's less beneficial than fulvic acid. So I thought, well, instead of doing this really acidic environment, what if I just give them the fulvic acid? Will that make a difference? And what I found is that it really did. And I went through several things. First, before I found this out, I got humic acid and even humic powder, this really fine black powder. And I tried all these things and it was a big mess until I finally found this stuff and the reason fulvic acid is helpful is it allows cells to uptake nutrients it um it, it basically allows the fish's body to be able to use the vitamins and minerals and nutrients that are eaten um and i don't understand all the mechanisms of it there's Lots of papers written on it that are very, very technical, but that's what it does. It it allows the body to um, uptake all the nutrients possible, and that results in a stronger organism. It might do other things as well, but from my reading, that's what I can say with confidence. So I I looked around, and I finally came across this stuff, and it's called Full Power. Again, I'm not sponsored by this at all. It's, It's labeled as humic acid, but it's actually fulvic acid. The reason it's labeled as humic acid is in the scientific community, there's a big debate over whether fulvic acid is different than humic acid to the point that it needs its own name and all this stuff. And it's actually illegal to label something as fulvic acid in like California and in Oregon. Um, And so even though this product, full power, whoops, there we go, is labeled as humic acid, that's just because of these scientific debates that are going on the main difference to know is that fulvic acid has less molecular weight it's a light gold color so it's um it doesn't discolor your aquarium whereas fulvic acid has uh humic acid has a higher molecular weight and um it's a really dark color so it's going to you know, make your aquarium look like it's full of tannins, basically. Sometimes even black, just depending on the kind you get and how soluble it is. So that's why I like the uh, fulvic acid. So I get the question all the time because some folks know that I like this. Well, it says humic acid on it. It's, it's, just, a, it's just a distinction. They, they can't sell in certain states with that label. And then you also get into like food grade stuff where fulvic acid is often sold in, as a nutritional supplement and things like that. And um, this is an agricultural product, and they don't want people drinking it <laughs> and stuff. So um, so that's, that's why it is how it is, if that makes sense. So I want to show you real quick how easy this stuff is to get. Um, just go to Amazon or anywhere, and if you type in full power bio ag um, it should show up so here's some right here um, so it, it's around and you can find it in a much larger size which is a lot more economical um, i can't remember but i think this size is around 50 bucks or so and again in a minute we'll we'll ditch this and we'll chat and any questions you have about anything this or whatever aquarium related we'll we'll dig into so If this is the thing that you're like okay i'm bored by this i get it but this stuff has helped me keep a lot of really delicate fish and it helps me land stressed out fish and import fish and not have major losses i mean sometimes you do have major losses but it it's just another weapon in my arsenal when i'm trying to get these fish healthy and help them recover from the shipping process, get them used to aquarium life and all that. So there's two ways that I use it. Um, And I'm not very scientific about it. And one day I'll do the work to to really calculate it out and, and all that. But basically I do it in two ways. When I take my frozen food and I thaw it, I'll thaw it, I'll rinse it out till all the like cloudy detritus and stuff is out of the food. And when it's ready to feed, basically just pour a little bit of this in there pour out the water as much as i can and then pour this in there till it's covering the live food or i'm sorry the frozen food and i'll just let it soak for like 15 20 minutes half an hour something like that so that the hope is that some of that is absorbed by the frozen food. So when i feed it to the fish they're ingesting it you could dose the aquarium but that would be super expensive. This stuff isn't cheap. Um, and then the other way I do it is when I'm making my rapashi food, I'll make my rapashi, and I'll stir it up. And once it's cooled to the point where it's about to thicken and kind of be hard to stir anything into it, then I put some of this fulvic acid in the rapashi, finish stirring it up and set it out to, to solidify, to gel up. So those are the two methods I've found to be uh, the most useful, cost-effective, targeted way to get this into my fish. Uh, the first time I did it, I thought I'd dose the water column. And I quickly was like, man, at 50 bucks a pop, I have to put a few cups of this in at a time. No, <laughs> no, that's going to that go broke. So. I think the way I do it is much more economical and targeted. So that is, you know, make your fish a superhero, but not really, but give it the best chance to uptake all the nutrition it needs to have the most robust immune system it can have so it can fight off the things it needs to fight off and so that it can uh, have the best chance of recovery after a stressful shipping process. So, hey, we've got 67. That's great. Again, glad you're all here. All the new people, glad you made it. Um, so that's kind of the, the spiel. That's what I wanted to, to talk about briefly. Just because, again, I it's not a topic that, unless you're reading scientific papers on it, I don't think it's general stuff that's out in our hobby. And um, it's something that that I found to be important. So I'd like to share it. So. We'll break from that. If anyone has any questions or comments about this, um, again, if you make it at Dan's Fish, so it highlights for me, I'll jump right to it. I don't read all the chat because that gets really boring when you just see someone, you know, scrolling through the chat, reading it, looking for a question. So I like it to highlight so I can get right to it. If you're on a mobile phone that doesn't allow that to happen, um, if you would maybe call a mod's attention to it so they can call my attention to it, that would be useful. Um, and then. We'll we'll dig into it. And if you have anything else you want to talk about that's fish related breeding fish, keeping fish, shipping fish, treating fish, whatever it is, um, you know, we can talk about all that stuff, too. So it's all fair game. Now that I've ranted for like twenty five minutes, we'll get to what you guys want to talk about. So. All right, I'm going to scroll to the top of the chat and start looking for highlights and hitting them on the way down. Mob Guppy, we are waiting and excited. Cool. Well, I hope I delivered. Hey, Tampa Tom. Good to see you, too. Looking for more orange. Okay. Hey, Carbon Really. Hello, Glenn Norton. Kelly's Aquatics, posting the T-shirts, if you want a T-shirt. We'll get to some cool stuff here that we can really dig into. Uh, Dan Slee, that's very interesting and impressive results. Yeah, those... Scientific studies, it's, uh, it's kind of, that's as good as it gets as far as knowledge goes. Um, you have to be real careful when you're reading this stuff, though, because it's, it is sold as like a supplement. So there's a lot of professional websites out there that are really just pushing it because they're trying to sell it to you or because it's a fad kind of thing. So really look for those peer-reviewed scientific papers when you're researching this stuff. I think that's important um that probably comes from my professor background but yeah wait do we have king and queen cichlids hey good to see you guys great to see you um yeah i don't know if i've seen you on this channel before i've seen you other channels but i'm glad you made it over thanks for coming all right almost there here we go king and queen cichlids is this dan's fish normal live feed time so i can set a reminder yes 7 p.m. mountain time every Wednesday. I think in the last 67 weeks (laughs) over a year, I've maybe had to miss three, something like that, when there was work or an illness or something. But pretty much every Wednesday, 7 p.m. mountain time, we're here, we're doing this, and we have a good time. Michael Wilson, is there any negative issue with the fulvic acid in conjunction with salt? I'm sure you know about issues that can occur with adding salt to Killies over peat moss. Yeah, um, not that I found, Michael, and not that I've experienced. I've I've used salt continuously since the beginning of my hobby, which was the early 90s, because I started in killifish. And it was almost impossible for me to keep Notobronchius species and some others without salt in my water. So from the get-go, I've used salt. And I've used fulvic acid in conjunction with salt, and I've never noticed any issue. I've never read anything about it being an issue. It doesn't mean it's not, it just means that if it is, it's not something I've run into or seen published. And I've never found any work that was particularly attacking that issue, attacking that issue to uh, see if it was or not. So it could be and that just no one has studied it yet. I, I don't know for sure. Um, one thing about fulvic acid that seems to be fairly true is it's very difficult to overdose. Kind of like vitamin C. If you eat too much vitamin C, you're pretty much just gonna pee it out. It's not it's not gonna tax your system. I'm sure at some point it would, but um, but in general, it's it's a very safe thing to to use. From what I understand, I'm not like a doctor, so uh, no one here go drink a bottle of vitamin C, please. But um, But fulvic acid seems to be that same kind of thing, like a water-soluble type thing that that doesn't build up in your system like some vitamins and minerals would. So those are my thoughts on that as far as the safety of it. Um, Again, one day I'll do the work to really nail down, like that study with the Loaches that said uh, 1.5%, I think per weight of the food was the ideal. One day I'll actually calculate what that is and mix that into the repashi and figure all that out. But I haven't done those calculations yet. Grassy Peak gave a super chat. Hey, Grassy, thank you so much. Always appreciated, never required, but as I always say, makes the life super happy. Um, my new favorite fish, Platinum Half Beaks. I'm so glad they came in, in good shape. Any luck getting babies yet? Cheers and thanks for the great shipment, Chris. Hey, glad that the shipment went in came through fine and that you're liking them they really are a cool fish i mean for those that have never kept a half beak there's nothing else out there like them um something really cool about them it's the top jaw that moves i'm not even on camera for that most fish it's the bottom jaw like us right it's it's our bottom jaw that moves but the half beaks have hinged their top jaw to make it easier to go grab insects and stuff off the top of the water it's really unique and i swear when you look at them from above like feed them fruit flies, or I mean, they eat flakes and pellets and all that stuff. But fruit flies are extra fun, um, and watch them attack. They look just like little miniature alligator gars. They're they're really cool. So I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you like them, Chris. And I've got tons of babies, I'm sure. But I also have a lot of platinum half-beaks in the tank. So I think as soon as they're born, they're eaten. The only way I think I'm going to have success getting babies is if I Um, remove the female into its own area with a ton of plants, and then take her out pretty much immediately after birth. But I I just haven't got around to doing that. Um, Michael Wilson, I believe it was, had a great suggestion. um, In order to not put her in a small little tank where she might, you know, rub her extended jaw, her beak raw or have a problem, He said, uh, I believe it was Michael Wilson. It could have been someone else, but would put in a soft net in the aquarium, put the female in there and put a bunch of floating plants in there. That's that's how uh, that's a way that seems that it might work really well, because then if she runs into the side, it's just going to be a nice soft net. So she won't hurt herself. So, nope, I haven't. um, Just because I I haven't put in the effort to do that let me dog dance fish middle water swimming hatchets i know it's really weird huh? look at this so i got these hatchets um, because i, I like surface dwelling fish and i feel like the very very surface is sometimes a hard zone to fill most fish don't just stay at the surface hatchets in my experience generally do but it might be because they're in such a big group that they're comfortable and they just go swim around but they're all over that tank i wonder if uh once i get the group down to about i don't know 50 or so if then they would stay at the top because they they weren't such high numbers i don't know what i do know about them is they come from um actually i don't want to say that because i haven't experienced it i read that they come from kind of more open areas with some flow. So I'm picturing like a river with some slight flow and they're kind of in the middle of the column of water. And in that case, I could see them going down a bit to to grab some food and stuff. But this is the first time I've seen hatchets do this. I like to think it's because they're so happy and comfortable that they're just swimming around having a good old time. That's what I'd like to think. The alternative is there's so many that they can't all be at the top, but they don't seem to feel crowded or territorial or or have a problem or anything. So I'm not quite sure, lumpy dog, but I was real surprised about that too. The fish tank barn. Hey, do you have any recommendation on fulvic acid in saltwater fish? No. Um, except for to say that there are some of these studies out there that you can look up specifically about the use of fulvic acid with saltwater fish. I didn't dig into them because I'm not a saltwater guy. I don't keep any saltwater fish. So, I didn't do that. But for someone like you that's breeding um, clownfish and things, it might be worth looking into. But I did briefly encounter some of that information. I just didn't dig into it. But folic acid basically seems to be existent in all bodies of water, pretty much, where there's fish, uh, marine and fresh. And it's very abundant in blackwater habitats because it comes from breaking down organic matter. So any water that's full of tannins and stuff has a high cr- concentration of fulvic acid in it. And I think using it helps me when I try to keep those species. But it's also in the rift lakes. It's also in the ocean. It's, it's a pretty vital, um, seems to be a pretty vital ingredient to, to fish health. So... BDK1320 at Dan's Fish. I have a male guppy with bloat. No interest in eating. Any ideas? Um, So that's a tricky one because a bloated fish can be signs of many, many different things. Just like if someone has a cough, they might have a cough for so many different illnesses. Um, It could be that the digestive tract is blocked up and needs to be cleared out. Although I, I usually think severe bloat is usually something more than that. But that is something that you can help clear out by feeding fibrous food like frozen brine shrimp or something with a high vegetable matter in it, like a, a, a vegetable-based rapache, maybe some um, blanched zucchini or some peas with the shells removed, something like that. I doubt that's the issue, but it's sometimes an issue. Often what bloat can be is a sign of internal organ failure where the organs are no longer able to regulate the osmotic pressure and fresh water is just going into the body cavity and bloating the fish. Um, That can be a sign of real severe liver and kidney issues, which are very hard to treat. For me, the best defense against bloat, if I have bloat and don't know what the cause, is a combination of canamycin and nitrofurazone. The reason I use those in combination is because the canamycin will be absorbed into the fish's skin and gills and actually go inside the fish. So if there's an infection internally, it has a chance of getting to it, whereas the nitrofurazone will take care of um, stuff that's more external. They seem to kind of synergize with each other from what I've researched. So That's what I would do, canamycin and nitrofurazone in combination. That being said, once a fish is bloated out, um, and I hate to say this, and hopefully this isn't the case. This is not always the case, but often once the fish is bloated out, it's, as I said before, often because the fish is far along. Like the organs are failing to the point that it can't osmoregulate anymore. So... It can be tricky to get a fish to recover if it's severely bloated, especially if it has been for a while. But I would try those two medicines and I would try salt at a dose of five grams per liter. So that's what I would try. This salt will help with the osmotic regulation. Um, it'll help make the fish not have to work so hard to keep fresh water from flooding into its body cavity. Those are my thoughts. Again, not a veterinarian, um, just a guy that's kept fish for a while and tried, you know, lots of different medicines and treatments. Um, BDK, that's that's the best I have for you. If anyone here um, has some experience with guppies and bloat and had success turning that around, if you would chime in so we can help BDK 1320 out, that would be great. Um, but whatever happens, I, I hope he recovers. I'm rooting for you. Lumpy Dog. How is the fulvic acid with plants and shrimp? Oh, great. Pretty much all living organisms from um, bacteria on up, from what I've read, again, I'm not a scientist or nutritionist or anything, but pretty much all of them seem to utilize uh, fulvic acid from what I looked at. Maybe not all of them, but a a wide range. Plants love it. In fact, it's used all the time in aquaponics, Um, aquaculture, uh anytime you're growing plants in a water base, they they're often flushing that system with fulvic acid. And and that's what this stuff is really meant for, honestly. Um, I just repurpose it for fish. So as far as I know, it should be just fine with shrimp and with plants. Um, if anyone here knows different, please save me from killing all lumpy dogs fish right now, or shrimp right now, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Amp Aquatics throwing down five bucks. Hey thanks Thanks, Amber. I really appreciate it. Um, Amp Aquatics is a mod at the Get Gills Facebook group. If you're looking for a Facebook group, it's a pretty good one. We have a lot of fun, um, and it's a good place to get information. If if you want to know about selling fish or shipping fish, or is this seller a good seller to buy from, or is this buyer a good buyer to deal with, or um, just... What is this fish? An ID problem? We've we've had it all, and we're there to help out. There's no drama in that group, not yet. The moment there is, that person just gets banned. But um, it's so far been a nice, fun group. So I invite you to check it out. Um, but thank you so much, Amp Aquatics. I appreciate that. Um, just the reminder: seventy-three watching. Hey, that's great. Um, if you wouldn't mind taking a moment, just sharing, liking, you know, nudging your friends to uh, let them know this is happening. The more we can get in here, the better. The more, the merrier. Um, For those that think I'm ignoring your comment, I'm not. So I'm just not seeing it. So if for some reason you're having trouble getting your comment responded to, uh, make it at Dan's Fish so it highlights for me. If you've tried and it's still not happening, call a mod's attention to it, would you, so they can call my attention to it. Um, I promise I'm trying to get to everyone. If I'm ignoring you, it's just because I'm I'm not seeing it. Um, All right. Hang on, let me, um, the chat jumped on me. It does that all the time. (laughs) So let me scroll up to see where we were. Okay. There we were. Skipper's aquarium. What's up? Just showed up. Did you get new fish? Yes. I got some cool new fish in and, um, I'm going to do an unboxing. So, but I can tell you what they are. Um, so I got more fricata rainbows in that blue eyes, I suppose. Sudamugil Fricatus. Um, it's got to be my favorite blue eye. I've got Signifer as well, but I was running low on them and uh, found a good deal on a good group, so brought them in. What else did I get? Um, for some reason, my mind is not remembering right now. Um, more of the Red-Eyed Red hyphen swordtails, And I've actually got a, a veterinarian checking them out. There were a few customers that had some losses last time I shipped them out. So we're doing a pathology just to see is there something with that fish that I need to be aware of so that I can uh, treat it for something specific before I send them out next time. It's a funny thing where they look fine for me. And this happens with fish in general. I work really hard to get the fish healthy. But sometimes the fish looks fine but you pack it up and ship it. And the stress of that process brings out something that's latent something that's, that they have, but that just isn't manifesting. And so I'm, that fish is so expensive and in demand that, um, a a veterinarian was nice enough to send one in for a pathology just so we can check it out. And if there is something, then, then I'll be able to take care of that before I send it out. Um, So I got more of those in and they look great. Um, What else did I get? Oh, geez. Oh, man, I'm going to have to like look at my list. I'm sorry. My memory is totally shot right now. It has been a long, busy day. So hang on. Let me look at my list here and I'll be able to tell you all of it. Um, You'd think I would know what I got in, (laughs) but it's not coming to me right now. Okay, here we go. Okay, so got the swordtails, got the forktails, uh, got some more of the archer fish in. So the clouded archerfish, which is fantastic. I really like those a lot. And then I got some hyphen neon barbs because I was running out of them. By the way, I found out that um, the the flubendazole, so the, the hyphen neon barbs, ever since I have got them, and I've been getting them in for about, I don't know, nine, 10 years, I've, I like that fish a lot. I've I've had it for a long time. Every time they come in, they, they're really pinched. They're really emaciated. And I've used metronidazole and things to kind of help them out. And so I thought that that fish was always kind of skinny because I've had them long-term and they never got really bulky. Um, and the metronidazole seemed to like, you know, help them recover from the pinched belly and they would recover. The other day, I I, a couple weeks ago, I put some flubendazole in there to treat some of their tank mates. And within a week, they were like big and bulky and like big rounded bellies. So now I wonder if the whole time, if they've had something that the metronidazole treated, but not completely. Or they had two things and the metronidazole treated one, but not the other. Because I've never seen drape fin barbs is like... Is healthy and robust is the, the few that I have right now. So with this new group, I'm going to run them through some flubendazole and see if that happens again. And then I'll know in the future that, hey, this specific fish always treat with flubendazole. It's funny, different fish come in with different things and you just got to learn your fish. Um, and they're coming from everywhere. I'll, in In any given week, I'll get fish from China, from India, from Indonesia, from Singapore, from Malaysia, from Sri Lanka, from South America, um, just all over. So every place has different issues. And it's just this learning curve. And every now and then you make an accidental discovery. So I've been keeping and breeding that fish for a long time. Thought I was doing everything right. And then now that I'm seeing them as they are now, I'm like, man, I wonder if I've been doing this wrong for a decade. <laughs> but that's those are kind of the new fish that we got, Skipper. I didn't really show them and stuff like usual because we talked about fulvic acid. Um, but, but yeah, that's what I got in. And true to form, I ordered a lot more stuff. I tried to get some Bettingian, Bettingi in, which is like a pugnac species. I tried to get the peppermint gourami, which is basically a gourami that is uh, evolved into a pike. A really cool little predator, and some um, Montezuma swordtails. But you know, you get shorted. This time, I'm trying to get some samurai gouramis in because I love them, and they're finally listed. I don't know if they'll show up or not, and some clown killies. But it's always um, it's always a crapshoot as to what you'll actually get in. Sorry, my phone was making noise, so I turned off the notifications. I forgot to do that earlier. Um, Kayler's Aquatics, is fulvic a probiotic? Um, maybe. I'm kind of hesitating because probiotic is a very specific definition, and I'm forgetting what it is. So probiotic is not the thing you need, but the thing that helps the thing you need grow, right? So like the floor in your intestine, um, if you eat yogurt, supposedly – the, the yogurt helps the flora in your intestine be healthy, so then you're healthier, right? That's probiotic, if I remember right. Um, and I'm not actually sure about that. I do know from that one study that when they compared the different groups, one group of fish had a lot less Aeromonas and harmful bacteria in its system and a lot more of the beneficial gut flora um, or fauna, I guess, in its system than the other groups that were tested in that study. So maybe it's helping that bacteria be healthy, but it's also like a, from what I understand from what I've read, like, again, my, my degree is not in this kind of stuff. My degree is in theater for crying out loud. But um, from what I said, from what I looked at it, it looked like it's almost like a chelating type thing that allows uptake of nutrients by cells. So that's my understanding, Bob, but anyone at any time could know more than me about it. Um, I know from the studies for sure that it's beneficial, it seems, from what I thought it was helping your cells, if you're a fish, uptake nutrients, but maybe it's also a probiotic, I, I don't know. Life in liquid. How do these acids relate to tannins? Do you think you are Deleting the benefits of tannins. So so tannins have lots of benefits. One is that they acidify water. And when water is acidic, ammonia becomes, I don't want to say non-toxic, but a lot less toxic. It's converted into ammonium, which is much less toxic. And that's one reason that true blackwater species melt down can melt down so quickly in our aquariums if there's any ammonia or nitrites or stuff like that. In the wild, they simply never encounter ammonia because the tannins um, have made the water so acidic that ammonia can't exist. The other thing that it does with the acidity that it produces is acid is harmful to most bacteria. So just by the fact that a tannic environment is so acidic, it prevents most bacteria from being able to really flourish and take hold in those environments, which is why, which is one reason why it's so difficult to take a fish from that environment and put it in our aquariums that generally aren't super acidic where bacteria thrives and this fish has no immunity to those things. Um, And if we don't help that fish through that process, you almost never have success just because the fish's immune system is quickly overwhelmed by all these bacteria that don't exist in any consistency or number in their natural environment because of the acidic nature of the, all the tannins. So fulvic acid does come from the same processes that create black water. So it's very prevalent in black water environments. Um, It's part of that. There's a lot, pretty high concentrations of it in those environments. So I don't think it's a one or the other. I don't think that by using fulvic acid, you can't also have tannins in your aquarium. Tannins are great. If you like the look and things like that of tannins. What I was trying to do was find a way to keep these delicate fish not delicate, but these fish that aren't used to ammonia, nitrite, and most bacteria that we have in our aquariums without turning the water dark, <laughs> right? Um, without having that tannic wash. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. I really don't mind the tannic wash as long as I can see the fish clearly and stuff. But but I wanted to take photographs of the fish. I wanted to take video of the fish. I, I was trying to keep the water clear. And trying to figure out how to do that without making the water dirty is how I kind of researched and fell into fulvic acid. So I don't think it's one or the other. You can definitely have both together. And in nature, a tannic environment, a black water environment has a lot of fulvic acid in it. BDK 1320. Oh, we already did that. Oh, I totally, it totally jumped on me. Sorry, I missed those questions before. Um <laughs> Okay, I'm scrolling. 83 watching. Yeah, baby. Not bad. Thanks for sharing. You guys must have shared because we got more people. Richard Crackle, are your block blockeye eating flake food? I never know if it's block-eye or blocky eye. Um, but yeah, the flakes, the eat pellets, they eat frozen, they eat live. They don't eat rapashi a ton just because it falls to the bottom, but they'll learn to do it and they'll just mob the rapashi. block blockeye is one of the easiest fish. To adapt to uh, processed foods. Just, in fact, most of the applicylists are. Here's something I noticed about killies, whether it's applicylists or aphiosimion or epiplates, um, fundulopanchax, I've noticed that when I keep them in large groups, they tend to do a lot better, which is counterintuitive to killifish culture. And I know that. I've been steeped in killifish culture since I was a kid. Um, But what I've noticed is when I keep killifish in the typical manner, which is a pair or so in a small tank by themselves, they tend to be a lot more shy. They tend to hang back and hide out in the plants. I don't see them very often. And it's harder to get them to eat just because they they seem to be less um, comfortable. But since I started putting large groups in bigger tanks, so I think I have 150 of them in a 75 gallon aquarium. About a third of the top of the aquarium is covered with water sprite that they can hang out in if they want. They're in a group, and they have some cover. They're out all the time. And the moment food hits the top, they're out, and they eat it. They're not shy at all, and they eat processed foods great. The same is happening with the aphiosimians, the epiplates, uh, lamp-eyes, but that's a given. We've known that about lamp eyes for a while. So I suspect that most killifish Probably not all, but most can be fairly easy to get to eat prepared foods if we kept them in, in ways that they weren't constantly shy, where they were out and about. And um, if you're a killifish and you're hanging out in the back and you're scared and a, some live food gets thrown in there, then the person goes away, the live food's wriggling, you'll dart out and get it. If you're not used to flake food and it's just up there, you might not come up and investigate it, unless you're out and about naturally. So I don't know. But yeah, they're eating really well, Richard Crackle. They're not a problem. They've put on, they've probably tripled their weight since I got them. They were pretty darn skinny when I got them, but they've tripled their weight, something like that. And they're eating really well. In fact, the only species that I sell at dansfish.com that is not actively and vigorously eating flake food is battis battis. That's a fish that I've never gotten um, to eat flake food vigorously ever. They'll eat frozen and live. But every other fish I have, I almost never sell a fish until it is eating flakes and pellets and stuff because I want the person I sell them to to have success with that fish. Um, so even like the chocolate gouramis I have, those are eating flake food and pellets and everything else. Um, I just don't list them until they are. The, um, I have some licorice gouramis that are eating flakes without any problem. The croaking gourami. So all these fish that are generally thought to need frozen or live foods, um, I generally will train them to eat flakes and pellets before I sell them. And if they aren't, then in the listing, I'll note that I'll say these are eating live and frozen. Um, so, you know, that Kaler, Hey, Bob, thanks for the super chat for the barn fund. No more professor fund. <laughs> I love it. 25 bucks from Bob Kaylor, which, uh, I appreciate that, Bob. I always feel a little guilty when Bob super chats, cause he also mods. He's also a great customer. He's, he does all this stuff for us. So to, to throw money at us on top of all that is just super generous. Thanks so much, Bob Kayler. We appreciate you. All right. 80 watching. All right. We went down a little bit, but we're still hanging in there. We're still hanging in there. Let's keep it above 80, folks. Keep it above 80. Lovey dog. Chat would like to know if you ship to Canada. Oh, chat, I'm so sorry. I don't ship to Canada. Um, Maybe one day, but it's, it's, it's the bureaucracy and the issues that I have to go through to make that happen that I don't. Now, I did work at a place before that was a very large internet seller, and um, they would ship to Canada. But they, were, they had to get to a massive volume, you know, over a million bucks a year, easy, um, before it made any sense to add Canada to their shipping. Just because of all the forms and bureaucracy and stuff you have to go through to set that up. I would like to ship to canada but i'm not even close to being able to do that right now i'm sorry i really wish i could and i i know that in canada it's just difficult to get stuff um I'm not sure exactly what the laws are and, and why but it seems to just be super expensive to ship even within canada from what i hear so tech turtle i see it now um i'm so sorry i wish i did i don't but i do ship to Washington. <laughs> and to northern new york and vermont and maine <laughs> just saying pathy <laughs> seen any interesting auto types on your suppliers list yeah um, there's been some zebra autos and some other stuff but i haven't seen them for a price that makes sense i'm really hesitant to get fish in i'm gonna have to turn around and and sell at a super high price every now and then i will like those highway catfish 50 bucks each that's a lot but they're so rare and so awesome that i just did clouded archer fish i just love so i did i mean there's a few that i will but but autos i'm just not confident that i could get in like i don't know a hundred of them and then sell them for the price that i would have to to turn a profit on them now those are wholesaler and trans shippers lists. If I bought directly from the exporter, I I would definitely do some zebra autos or some of the other giant autos and things like that. But I'm not in a position where I'm gonna be doing that again anytime soon. It just it is it's such a large volume you have to buy when you do that. That uh one day when I get my warehouse built and um have 10,000 feet or so that I can just jam full of aquariums. Then I'll do that regularly, but that's a ways out. I'm going to have to raise, that's a quarter million dollar project. So that's going to be a while before we do that. 44, 44 Mag Guy 1, sup dude? Sup. <laughs> hey, we reached the bottom of the chat and we're only an hour in. Look at that. I'm I'm like constantly 15 to 20 minutes behind <laughs> on chat so <laughs> so this is an accomplishment Bub and Cindy are still in mod training they excel at modding but lack a bit in sarcasm says Lumpy Dog well I missed whatever it was but I'm sure it was awesome another the Z the fish I had most success with were platies, gouramis and several Corydoras. angels always did great as well I've kept so many species, very soft spot for platies. Yep. Those sound like species that would be pretty much rock solid. Um, and I, I feel like often we do this thing where we start with fish that are we're going to be successful with and we get real excited. And then we like start dreaming of these really r- rare and delicate fish. And we kind of move that way for a while. And then after a while, of like being on the s- just struggling through that, it's like, you know what? I really miss platties. That was fun. And <laughs> we go back to where we came from. That's definitely happened to me a time or two in this hobby, um, for sure. Um, all right. So if anyone has any further questions or comments that they would uh, like to get out there, then I would be happy to respond to them and discuss them. Um, but we've reached the bottom of the chat. So in a few minutes here, if, if folks don't list more stuff, then we'll go ahead and shut it down. Uh, there's nothing more painful than watching a live stream struggle on for longer than it wants to struggle on for, right? It, it kind of has a natural flow and cadence. And once you get to the point where no one's talking anymore, it's just like, What do we do now? So, um, but 86 watching. That's awesome. 44 mag guy one. Hey, thanks for the uh, comment. Hopefully going to get an order, some fish from you soon. Just got to redo the silicone on my tank. Okay. Yeah, totally. I hear you. Word from the wise. Wait at least like a week after you put the silicone on before you refill with water. I have made this mistake in the past of putting water in too soon and then uh, it leaches stuff from the silicone and the fish just die instantly. So be careful, let it cure for sure, fill it up and then maybe put in a test fish <laughs> just to make sure everything's okay before you go ahead and do like fill it full of fish. Um, just cause it can be a little precarious as to when the silicone's truly cured To the point where it's not leaching into the water anymore so i mean i say that because i followed guidelines and things and waited for as long as it said to and all that and still had a problem so now whenever i reseal a tank i always cure it for seven days fill it up add a test fish or two if everything's okay in two days then i'm like okay the silicone's cured and and then i'm good to go yeah Dalton Young, good to see you. Do you have any experience? You too, man. With orange rabbit snails? I do not. I think they look awesome, but don't know much about them. Can you get them? They are hard to find for sale. Um, yes, I can get them. They're on the lists pretty much every week I can get them, but I don't because those come from like like Sulawesi and places like that, where it's high alkalinity and high pH. And um, I have really soft water, often on the acidic side here. And so Snails really do need calcium and things like that to be successful. Um, Shrimp, not so much because a shrimp's uh, exoskeleton is made up more of chitin and stuff like that, like what your fingernails are made out of, than like calcium carbonate, which is what a snail's shell is made out of. So um, I have even like my pond snails and ram's horn snails, which is pretty much all I keep um, for puffer food and stuff. I can see the calcium deficiencies on their shells. And so I don't want to do rabbit snails just because I don't think they would do well in, in my aquariums. Um, they're available, they're just pricey. So I think that's why a lot of people don't do it. Um, does anyone know if Flip Aquatics has any available? For a while, Flip Aquatics was selling rabbit snails. Um, if they do, if one of the mods wouldn't mind linking that for Dalton, I'm happy to support, uh, flip aquatics. I think they do a great job. I don't know if Rachel, Rachel O'Leary's not shipping fish right now, but she might be doing some snails and stuff. And she sometimes has rabbit snails, MissJinxed.com. I'm, I'm trying to think of anywhere else. I, I haven't seen any on get gills. Um, so, well, let's look real quick before I make that a, a thing let's look here Invertebrates. there's ram's horns jadron has these awesome apple snails which i think are awesome but no i don't see any um any rabbit snails there so um yeah dalton sorry i i don't know 77 watching we're going down we're going down Hang on. It jumped on me again. Here we are. Real stinks. The wild angel fish from Peru are awesome. I'm glad you're enjoying them. I really like them too. Um, there's something about just getting back to the wild form where the lines are so clean. Uh, they don't have the issues from the inbreeding that they go through to get the different color morphs and things. I mean, I obviously love those too. I, You know, koi angels and green giants and all that. But every now and then a nice wild angel with its sleek lines and its kind of Natural body shape and all that is just—I don't know—it's just a nice change of pace. But I'm glad you're liking them real. I hope they breed for you. No idea what the sexes are, um, but hope they do well and breed for you. Let me dog, Jet would like to know shipping costs from Dance Fish to Illinois. So shipping starts at fifteen bucks. Uh, I can get six fish for most—you know—small aquarium fish species. I can get six fish in a box, send it for 15 bucks. I can get um, 12 in a medium box, which is about 20 bucks. And I can get uh, 20 fish in a larger box, which is 25 bucks. So 15 to 25 bucks um, is the general shipping rate this time of year, which is great because it used to be 40 to 50 bucks when it was winter shipping. So thanks Lumpy Dog for bringing that to my attention. Uh, Bob Kaler, my vitamin tonic does not have fulvic acid. It has vitamin C, iron, and probiotics. Yep, cool. Um, I'll occasionally throw some vitamins in uh, into like frozen food and let it soak, like just that liquid vitamin stuff that <laughs> that is meant for seniors, <laughs> for folks like you, Bob. <laughs> Dare I say it? (laughs) Good thing 54 Punchy isn't in here. She would, like, punch me. She would jump all over me for that comment. (laughs) 44 Mad Guy 1. Okay, thanks for the tip. You're welcome. Good luck. Uh, Hope it works. Richard Crackle. I already posted this before. Do you have any pictures of the turquoise guppies from this side? Yeah, I just don't have any that were worth posting. But I washed out my photo tank, and I wanted to do that today. Did not get to it, but... Richard, I'll be getting some of those up there soon. I I got video too. So I'll be posting the video Um, videos from the side and it's better than a picture. So I I took the videos. I just haven't got them loaded up yet. So real soon though, I will get that up there. They were just so brilliant from the top. I mean, they just looked so good in there. (laughs) That's the picture I snapped. Um, It's so much easier when they're concentrated in a small container. You can just go on the top and click a picture, then trying to get a good picture in a 75-gallon aquarium where they're just all swimming all over. But I've got some video, and I'll be posting that pretty soon. And they look spectacular, Richard, at least I think so. And what I like about them is out of 200 fish, there's only one or two that have any red on them at all. So it seems like a pretty clean strain to me. Richard or Dan Slee says, not at the moment at Dan's fish. All right. Um, I don't know what that's in response to Dan. I'm sorry. (laughs) Tech turtle. How often do you get in the puffers? I want some, but waiting to move soon. Should I order now while you have, or can you get them all the time? I can't get them all the time. They haven't been available for a few weeks. Uh, they're somewhat seasonal, but, um, I don't generally hold fish unless it's for like weather cause I can't ship or something. So I would, uh, get your tank set up. And when you, when you're ready, if they're available, order some, uh, but I, I just can't, if I did that, I'd run into the situation where I had to hold fish for everyone. And then I could be sitting on fish for like three months, which is, is really bad for the economics of my business, but they're available sometimes. I don't know if their season is over or if they'll become available again in a couple weeks, but, um, they do seem to be a more seasonable, seasonable. They're seasonable. It's like scrubble. (laughs) Do you scrubble the algae off your glass? I scrubble all the time. (laughs) For those that don't know what that is, um, there's a video on quarantining fish I just released and. Scrubbles all over. If you watch that video, you'll know. You'll you'll be in on the joke. (laughs) Chattanooga egg. What do you feed your zebra loaches? The ones I got from you are doing super great. Knocking out my snail problem. Yeah. So occasionally feed them snails. If I don't have puffers and I've got a ton of snails, I'll I'll do that as a treat. But they eat... Flake food, Uh, the brand I feed is cobalt. I'll also occasionally feed HBH. I don't think the brand matters though, I really don't. I just feed flakes for vitamins. Um, So they eat flake food, they'll eat pellets. I use um, the small, tiny little pellets from Gemco. I forget what they're called. And I also use P.E. Mysis pellets. Um, I feed them Rapashi, uh, the community blend, and then one day it'll be community blend, and the next day it'll be community blend cut with soil and green, like 50% community, 50% soylent green, just so they get some veggie in there. And because they're in with some guppies, and I want the guppies to get some vegetation in their diet, um, they'll eat frozen foods, live foods. Um, I'll give them some blanched zucchini, green beans, stuff like that. Um, that's mainly for the live bears in the tank, but they'll pick out it too. So they eat pretty much everything. There's a a big mix that goes on. So generally, I feed a prepared food and some kind of something else. Um, By prepared food, I mean like dry, like flake or pellets. I generally feed that and something else every day. So I rotate through just so they have a variety. But I'm glad to hear they're doing well. Um, They are one of my favorite botilla type loaches. And the reason is, is a lot of botillas are aggressive, like skunk botillas, yo-yo loaches, things like that. They can just be super aggressive. And then there's other ones like clown loaches, which I love, but they get so big that they're hard to keep in in a tank that isn't massive, especially since clown loaches really thrive in groups. So you need to have a tank big enough to keep a large group in, and that's, that's more tank than most of us have got, right? Um, whereas the zebra loaches... They stay three or four inches. I like their pattern and they're peaceful. So I can get a large group of zebra loaches in, you know, even a 20 gallon tank, I could probably fit eight of them in without any problem uh, and still keep other fish with them. So in a 55 gallon, I can keep a nice school. And when you have that group in there, um, you know, they just, they're the clown around and they're a ton of fun. So that's why I like that loach so much. Guppy Granny, aquatic arts often has rabbit snails. Good to know. So there you go, Dalton. Fong Trong, do you know where to get Sulawesi cardinal shrimp? No, I've occasionally seen them available. Every time I see them, I drool a little bit because I want them so much. But my water's soft and acidic, and those guys need it hard and alkaline, and they need and hot too. From what I understand, low eighties. So. They're not going to thrive in my fish room, so I don't ever get them in, and I don't know of anyone that consistently gets them in. Someone out there is probably having great success with them, but in general, they're thought of to be a very expensive, very delicate uh, shrimp, so I think most places just shy away from that. They might try them once or twice, and if they don't have luck keeping them, then With the massive expense they're not going to get them again so i think that's why they're kind of hard to find occasionally they'll pop up though there's got to be some shrimp facebook groups out there that are total geeked out about shrimp that have those going around that group where someone's had success and is distributing them but fong i don't know um yeah i don't know anyone right now if anyone here does know guppy granny you knew about rabbit snails do you know about uh So, Loise Cardinal Shrimp, if you do, let's let Fong know. (laughs) Lumpy Dog, Candy is much too fast for me to link things. (laughs) That's why she's a super mod. Not not that Lumpy Dog's not a good mod, but let's all be honest. Candy's on another level. She's than anyone, pretty much. Candy and Nisi, yeah, I think those are just the, the super, super mods. Dan Slea, keep a lot of rabbit snails. I highly recommend going captive raised over imports. Yeah, is that because of like leeches and things like that? I, I do know that there's problems with rabbit snails having parasites and having issues. So captive bred, if you can find them. I think in general, captive bred, if you can find it, is almost always a good thing. Unless a line's been inbred so much that it's like, okay, let's get some wild blood back into this. But in general, captive bred's the way to go. Across the board, I think. Dalton Young, I'm going bare bottom on my tanks like you and starting and started planning the bottom of the tanks. Oh, painting, sorry. The bottom of the tanks black like you do. Do you worry about painting under the center brace on your 75 gallons? No. No, I didn't. I just painted the glass um, and left the center brace there. The center brace is pretty much pushed up against the glass and it's going to be pretty dark. And also, I don't know of any way to remove the brace to, to paint under it that wouldn't bow the brace or weaken it. So, nope, just the grass, Dalton. Grass? Hang on. <laughs> just the glass. <laughs> 74 watching. It's fun to watch the, the count go, like, up and down and up and down. Um, we're 84, then down to the low 70s. Now we're climbing back up. <laughs> and anyway, we welcome everyone that's here for the first time or... Hasn't been here in a long time. Uh, Welcome. Glad you're here. Thanks for hanging out. Okay. I am scrolling to where the chat jumped on me. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Okay. Here we go. Found it, I think. Good. Jeff Chambers. I've seen some nice yellow and spotted rabbit snails for sale on Reddit. I did not know that. I've got to get up to speed. Like... I'm that old man that, you know, when Atari came out, was like, meh, and Nintendo came out, was like, what is this newfangled thing? Now I'm the guy that's like, I I haven't, I don't do Reddit, I haven't got Snapchat, you know, I'm, now I'm the old guy, the old Luddite falling behind. I didn't know that they sold uh, fish on Reddit, but cool. So there's another one, uh, Dalton. Plasmaski. What are good snails to keep with goldfish. Anything big enough that the goldfish won't eat it, I suppose. Um, I don't keep a lot of goldfish, so I don't know if I can really advise you on that. My thought is this, if it can fit in the goldfish's mouth, it's gonna eat it. And small snails like pond snails and rabbit snails, I, I could envision getting stuck in the goldfish's mouth or throat. So I'd probably avoid those and go with something big. Um, maybe a Japanese trapdoor snail, because they like cool water and they're kind of bigger. Uh, things like that. But Plasmaski, that's that's all I got for you. I'm not a guy that keeps goldfish, so I, I don't have a lot of experience with that. Who here has goldfish and what snails do you keep with them? Uh, let's let Plasmaski know. Dalton Young. I'm. Oh, wait, I already read that one. Oh, <laughs> I keep missing stuff. Richard Crackle concurs that aquatic arts sells rabbit snails. Cool. Bathyphila... Do you think Aplocyclus you have would do okay in a tank? Gets down in the mid sixties in the winter. Oh, that's so hard for me to to know. Um, so I have two kinds of Aplocyclus right now. I have Lineatus and I have Block Eye or Blocky Eye. I always say Block Eye, um, which is probably probably wrong because that's the one I always say. We're down to seventy. What do we gotta do? What do we gotta do? Um, you know those. The block I come from Sri Lanka in southern India. It's pretty hot there. So, so I've never kept them below, like, I don't know, 72, 73. Now, a lot of killifish nuts keep their tanks in the mid-60s in the winter, so they might be okay. I've just never tried it, so I'm hesitant to, to tell you it's okay, Bathyphylla, because I haven't tried it. Um, many, many killifish can, so they might be okay. But the reason I'm hesitating a bit is because if this is a surface dweller, it's going to be up in the warmest part of the water in nature. And if it's from those hotter environs, I, I don't know I don't know how cool it gets there. So I, I just can't answer that with any kind of confidence. I'm sorry. I want to say yes, because they're killifish. But, but there are a few killifish that don't like it cool. And I don't know if those are them or not. Dwayne Timberlake. I ordered koi guppies from Thailand, and they will be transshipping via Dallas. Cool. Once I get them, do you suggest I treat them all with canamycin? Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, that's what I would do. I treat them with salt, canamycin, and neomycin. Guppies in particular, I find... Um, In the longer tails or the more fancy finage they have, the more this is true. They need some help for the first few days after they arrive. They've been babied so much that they just need some help in that transition. So, personally, I would always medicate guppies prophylactically just because of what I've experienced when I don't, and even sometimes when I do. They can be generally everything goes fine, but. Yes, I would recommend canamycin, neomycin, or <laughs> neomycin. <laughs> Scratch that. <laughs> canamycin, nitrofurazone, in salt. Um, and I've got a quarantine video that I just released that shows you how I do it. Um, so that's what I would recommend. But there's other ways to do it. There's the aquarium co-op trio. You could try that. Um, there's as many ways to quarantine as there are fish keepers, it seems like. But the one I've had success with is and neomycin, and salt. Richard Crackle, thanks. Looking forward to the video. You're welcome. We're talking about those turquoise guppies, I assume, from the side. <laughs> the fish tank barn. Anything new with the Santa Maria antlers? No, they're ready, though. Um, I, I've proved out that they're breeding true enough that I'm comfortable selling them. Now I'm just waiting for the batch to grow out so that I can sell them without selling off my breeders. I'm, I'm not going to sell my breeders or right <laughs> have done a, a year and a half of work and then like be like oh wait now i don't have them anymore so they're i've got fry growing out um soon as they color up and are sexable then i'll start offering them after i send a pair to mikey and to priscilla because i owe them um for, the, for those that don't know i did a, a large shipment from nigeria uh, an import from nigeria they came into denver and that's where uh mikey mile high aquatics and priscilla mk art are located and those two folks really helped me out Um, so to kind of thank them i gave them each a pair of the santa maria's before the line was fixed and i was like these aren't fixed yet i have no idea what they're gonna throw but i'll get you better ones later and so i i've got to do that before i sell anymore but i've got a good batch growing up and so i should be able to get those out fairly soon fairly soon, as soon as they color out, uh, you know, a couple weeks or so, I'm not sure. It's up to the fish, really. I'm feeding them a lot. I'm changing the water a ton, so (laughs) I'm doing what I can. Cheshire Cat, I love scrubbing. That's a fun word. Yep, scrubbing. You gotta scrubble that algae. (laughs) Lumpy Dog, you need to get your mods under control. They're having way too much fun tonight in the stream. Well, they deserve it. I mean, you're doing all this hard work for the stream. Gratis, so have your fun. Drink up. (laughs) I'm all for it. (laughs) Plus, once Bob gets on a rampage, I'm not going to be able to reel him in, so why try? (laughs) G Cunningham, this year I'd like to try a couple of outdoor tubs with guppies. Cool. What is the minimum size you'd recommend? What is the lowest temp you'd recommend? Um, Well, I wouldn't just because... I haven't done any summer tubbing in probably 15 years. So, and never with guppies. I did killifish and rice fish. So at least I think I did rice fish. It's been a while. So I'm probably not the guy to ask. I do have a hundred gallon tub out there that I'm going to do some tubbing in. But what I'm going to do is throw a bunch of scuds in it just so I can have just a ton of scuds and make the fish super happy and feed them all the time. Um, Off the top of my head... If they're fancy guppy strains, I probably wouldn't let them go past the lower 70s, 73, 72-ish. And they can go pretty hot. Mid 80s wouldn't be a problem. Um, That's just my thoughts. Everyone tubs differently, though. So if there's an air stone, that helps. Um, If there's no air stone and it gets super hot, then oxygen is depleted. That could be an issue. So there's all kinds of variables. But... I'm going to let someone else chime in on that, uh, G. Cunningham, just because I, I don't have the first-person experience with that, and I'd hate to steer you wrong. I, I don't want to ever be one of those guys that it, just starts spouting information without having experienced it. Well, I read somewhere that this happens, and but how do you know? Like, Unless it's a scientific journal or something, I don't want to pass on false information. That being said, Rachel O'Leary has some great – summer tubbing videos and she checks temperature when she brings fish in and stuff so if you watch those videos that might give you an idea um uh, michael's fish room uh has some videos on summer tubbing and so i think the information's out there i just i just don't have the experience um all right hang on chat jumped it does it this is the one okay so this is i love youtube and all the technology is built for us but man if they could keep their chat from jumping that would be awesome another another the z i like it another the z oh no we're in the 60s 66 watching i guess i'm being boring oh well another the z are you familiar with the loach cobatus paludica Uh, maybe is that the large scale loach uh let's see Are we familiar with this? I have no idea if I am. Let's see what this is. All right, folks. Huh. No, I don't know this one. Check this out. This appears to be what we're talking about. Seriously fish. Let's see what they say about it. They they tend to be more reliable than most. Cool. There we go. Wow, that's a cool looking that's a cool looking loach. I like the pattern on it. It reminds me a little bit of a highway catfish, just that with kind of the lines above it. Wow. Nope. I, I have to say I'm not familiar with that fish. I wish I was though. It looks pretty cool. Tech Turtle, I gotta go night. All right. Good night, Tech Turtle. Enjoy. Thanks for being here. Have a good one. Sweet dreams. Fong Tarong. What are your favorite cool water nano species besides killifish? I love, this is not original, but I love, love, love white clouds. Um, I think they're fantastic. Um, I love shiners. Like uh, rainbow shiners are fantastic. Fiery black shiners are great. Uh, Scarlet shiners are just beautiful. What else do I like out there? I've kept hillstream loaches in cool water environments. Uh, I don't know if they can all do that, but there's some species from China that do really well. The rhinogobius species um, out of China, those do well in cool water and and they're so much fun. I can't wait until I can find rhinogobius again. I miss that fish a lot. Um, Bitterlings are fantastic. Um, I really like the darters, orange throat darters are a great species i was lucky enough to get uh, a nice group out of missouri from a location that um, was kind of warmer than normal and didn't have i don't know it wasn't as as riffly and stuff so they were kind of easier to keep and those bred like crazy for me and colored up and were absolutely stunning i like uruguayan fish fish from uruguay The Gymnogeophagus species from there uh, are fantastic. There's some Corydoras from Uruguay that do great in cooled water. Um, Some um, Caracidiums from there. Caracidium raccovii, a tetra that does fantastic and is beautiful and neat. And I've only been able to get once in my life and would love to get again. What else for cooled water? Um, I don't know. That's what's coming off the top of my head. But... There's there's so many awesome ones. A lot of the Barbs and Danios and stuff. Uh, different Cyprenids. Um, yeah. So, a favorite. Um, Characidium racobai. That's got to be my favorite. Let's show you what that is. Um, Characidium Rakibai. Hang on, I'm, I'm finding it. I'm trying to remember how to spell Characidium. Here we go. This fish is fantastic. It's a tetra. It's like a darter tetra or a hummingbird tetra that kind of stays at the bottom. And what you're not seeing here is this fin has a ton of orange in it, as does this fin. So they stay on the bottom. I don't think they have a swim bladder. Um, Maybe they do, but they kind of are like a hummingbird tetra or a darter tetra. And they come from Uruguay. Okay, that's taking a while. They come out of Uruguay, so they come from conditions where sometimes it's iced over the top of of their habitat, so they can take it really cool. And it's just a fish that I am longing to get again and absolutely can't find. I think in order to find them, I'd have to go collect them myself, honestly, at this point. There was a gentleman um, down in Uruguay that would take people on trips and stuff and go collecting, and I had some close friends that went and did that. Unfortunately... By all accounts, he's a fantastic guy. And unfortunately, he passed away uh, rather unexpectedly. And so I don't know if there is anyone in Uruguay anymore regularly um, collecting or exporting. So the stuff out of there, at least in his area, seems to be very hard to get these days. Priscilla MK Art, dance. That should do the magic. Dance, magic, dance. Yep, always does. <laughs> we'll get more people back if I dance. <laughs> What'll happen if I start dancing is like ten creeps will join and everyone else will leave. <laughs> Priscilla, oh yeah, I'll take some more. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. I I feel like I owe you and Mikey, so you guys get the first ones. Didn't know? Didn't you know Bob is a master troll? Careful. Well, yeah, that's the only reason I I made him a mod. <laughs> it's like maybe if he's fighting for me. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, Bob. <laughs> How do I control this guy? I'll get him to accept the system and work with me. Pathy <laughs> Phila. Share your summer tubbing killifish stories and advice. I just bought some aphanius menta today for summer tubbing this year. Yeah, so aphanius are one of the best species. My only real advice is to treat it like an aquarium almost. Sometimes we... We're like well it's a pond and so we just throw a container of water out there without any filtration or not you don't necessarily have to have filtration but without setting up a proper environment first and then things don't do well so my favorite is a container the bigger the better i like a 100 gallon tub but you know sometimes you go smaller i like to bury it about halfway into the soil because that helps prevent the temperature from spiking it gets really hot in the summer and i also like to keep it in the shade if i can unfortunately that means leaves so that means having to put some kind of cover on it or you know raised up so that the it doesn't become a greenhouse effect but so the leaves can't get in there um and water sprite up top i love um you have to thin it occasionally so it doesn't just choke the top but you know, keeping about 50% of it covered with water sprite is good. Um, let the water spike kind of grow in a little bit and then put the fish in. Um, the issue with killifish is they jump. So you got to have that floating plant cover in there so they feel really comfortable. Or You're probably going to have some problems. Also, if you're doing killifish, keep a, a tight lid on it, at least for the first few weeks while it's cooler, right? Um, so that the fish can get really comfortable. And then you might wanna, then if you're gonna take the top off, that's the time to do it. That being said, jumping's always a risk. But here's the thing, once they've settled in, they're much less likely to jump. So give them a few weeks. Um, There's always the risk though. I don't wanna say like, take the lid off, it'll be fine. So, and then the last thing is some kind of water movement. Uh, Generally an air stone is good something just to keep the water moving like you would in your aquarium so that's the basics keep an eye on it Uh, occasionally test parameters and you might find that you want to do a water change occasionally just like you would in an aquarium Um, often you don't have to because you have all the plants going and stuff and it's just top off time but yeah I love it you're going to see colors and things in those fish that you just don't see any other way so with killifish specifically that's that Those are kind of my thoughts, yeah. Mumby Dog, my latest pond guppy breeding project, the best pond guppies in the world, took a step backward. Oh, from out of nowhere, several ma- males started showing endler traits. It's going to be a long road to fix this strain. Oh, man, I'm sorry. Um, I know from personal experience what it takes to fix a strain. And, uh... oh, you were so close. They looked so good. Did like an endler jump? Was there an endler at the woodpile in the woodshed? <laughs> like, what happened? <laughs> or did it just, honestly, just, it was latent and some combination made it manifest? I don't know, but I'm sorry to hear that. Twin City Guppies. Hey, welcome. I summer tub guppies and I agree with your guidelines. Cool, thanks. Thanks, thanks. If you were talking to me. <laughs> I'll just take credit for that. <laughs> 65 watching not too bad not too bad Uh, anyway Lumpy Dog I hope that strain gets fixed for you I'm sorry about that I know all the work that is Cheshire Cat did you order in Clown Killies I don't know why but I adore them I know why because they're awesome Epiplates annulatus, one of the coolest little fish out there Um, the order gets placed on Thursdays so I'll place tomorrow and we'll see what happens I hope they come in they often don't, <laughs> but we'll try. Uh, and samurai gouramis. If you guys don't know what this is, uh, this is worth looking at. Sometimes called valiant gouramis. Um, but check this out. This is an amazing fish. Uh, it's it's kind of a, a kind of chocolate gourami, the valiente species. And I've just always wanted them never had them in my personal collection and would really like to get them so we'll see they said they're available the supplier they are available from is not one i generally like to order from just because they're they tend to be kind of pricey and the fish aren't always in the best of shape honestly but sometimes they have a species i can't find anywhere else and then it's just worth trying so yeah (laughs) Bob Kaler, lol. (laughs) Um, Dalton Young, have you ever seen that current darter? Um, Which one is that? (laughs) I'm not even going to try the Latin. I I generally go for the Latin. but My brain, it's been a day and uh, I'm not going to even try. Nope, I haven't kept that one. The only darter I've kept in my own collection is the orange throat. Um, A lot of friends that have kept the... um, rainbow darters, green-sided darters, and a few others, sand darters, but I don't think I've ever seen that one, the current darter. So if you can get it and if it's legal and stuff, it looks beautiful. Darters are pretty specific though, so make sure before you get darters that you have a really well-cycled tank that's got quite a bit of current in it, that they're not going to be out-competed by fish that eat at the surface because the darters are going to eat more at the bottom of the tank, and they need high dissolved oxygen. Not all of them, swamp darters, a little less, but most darters, really high dissolved oxygen. You start running into problems if the temperature climbs, the water's ability to absorb oxygen goes down, and if they get warm, that can be a real issue. The same as it is for a lot of the goby species and hillstream loaches and stuff. So if you do keep darters, keep that water well oxygenated. That's the key. And one of the keys to that is, um, not letting it get too hot. That's the challenge with them. Janice Lundberg, newbie in the house. I've been behind the scenes. Love all your videos. Well, welcome. Welcome. Um, I'm frequently a lurker, um, am frequently a longtime listener and sometimes first time caller. <laughs> so glad you came, stepped out of the shadows. Welcome. And, uh, Glad you, you chatted with us. Good to have you here. Fong Twong, when colony breeding shrimps and gobies, should you worry about the genetics bottlenecking? If so, would splitting the colony and periodically moving shrimp guppies back and forth be beneficial? So there's different schools of thought on this, Fong. There are lines of fish that have been going for decades and are in very good shape. And have not been outcrossed. And it's a pair or a few pairs at a time that are selected. So they're very, very inbred. Sometimes that works. If if you cull like mad, and by the way, when I say cull, I don't mean you kill, I just mean you separate fish that aren't desirable from the breeding pool, whether that's put them in another tank or whatever. Um, Often I say the word cull and people are like, how dare you? But to me, culling doesn't mean killing. It just means getting them out of the gene pool. So if you start with really, really good fish, there are definitely lines of live bears and killies and some other stuff that have been going for decades um, that are severely inbred. Now, is that to say that they won't eventually hit a bottleneck? I don't know. But I think the key there is they started with great stock and they were very, very selective and caught any problems very early and didn't let those breed into the pool, right, into the gene pool. So it can be done, but I think it's really difficult to do. I think in general, you're eventually going to see things crop up that are not desirable and want to outcross. So um, that's... Generally, how I approach it, it'll go a while and then it'll outcross. However, I want to say this before I outcross, I, I have to know that strain I'm outcrossing to. The last thing you want to do is work a line for generations and then bring in a cross that is subpar. And now you have a ton of work to do to get it back. So, what you want to do. I think ideally before you cross in is get the fish you are thinking of crossing in, breed them for a generation or two. If they're still clean, then it's like, okay, now I can with confidence put these together and I think we'll be okay. But I personally would never like with these Santa Maria endlers that I've been working on, I'll eventually try to get some more Santa Maria endlers from someone else and cross them in. But I'm not going to buy them and then put them in. I'm going to buy them, breed them for a couple generations, and if they're still breeding true, and I'm not seeing a lot of bent spines or a lot of deformities or wrong colors or finnage or anything, then I'll do the cross. If that makes sense. So, so for me, I think that outcrossing is beneficial. Um, basic genetics tells us that. But some people. Go for a long time without crossing. Christopher Page, am I correct in saying that you use three teaspoons per gallon of salt while simultaneously treating with meds? Wouldn't salt work in place of antibiotics? And what do you do for salt-sensitive fish? Okay, so I wouldn't do it by volume. I would do it by weight. So I say that because of granularity. I use a really coarse, like, cheap water-softening salt, Um I do that because it's cheap. If you use a really fine salt, like a fine table salt or something, one teaspoon of that is probably going to be a lot more concentrated than one teaspoon of what I use. So five grams of salt per liter. Um, I believe that's correct. What that ends up being is four to five cups of salt per 75 gallons for me, or about two cups of salt per 30 gallons. So I don't break it down much more than that. I don't know what it is per gallon, just because I'm dealing with generally larger tanks. So I know that it's two cups for 30 gallons, four to five cups for 75 gallons, but um, I haven't broke it down to how much per gallon. Because I rarely ever do like a small five and a half gallon tank or something like that. I'm generally medicating or treating a 30 gallon tank because that's what my quarantine system has. Um, sometimes a 75 gallon tank, although that kills the plants. So I don't like to do that unless I have to. So first thing, do it by weight, not by volume. And then once you know how much volume your salt takes to have the right weight, right? You know, that five grams is one teaspoon or whatever of the salt you're using in your granularity, um, then you can start using that volume. But you got to weigh it out first. So, wouldn't salt work in place of antibiotics? So, salt does help, but I don't think if a fish has like an internal raging uh, columnaris infection in its intestine, that salt's going to treat that. Salt might help some superficial things, but, and I like salt a lot, but it's limited in its power as an antibiotic. It's probably more effective as an anti-parasite medicine, but um, it's helpful to a lot of things. But I don't think salt itself cures most things. Or I'll say there's lots of things that salt itself won't be able to cure, especially if it's internal. Here's why I use salt. I don't use salt because I think it's going to um, treat disease. I use salt because it takes stress off the fish. So. The fish is constantly working super hard to maintain its osmotic pressure. A fish has to work really hard, a freshwater fish, to keep freshwater from flooding its body because the fish's body is salty. Its blood is about the same concentration as the ocean in salinity. Freshwater, because it's less salty, wants to reach equilibrium, so it's going to rush into the fish's body. Okay, That's what osmotic regulation, osmotic pressure is. when we're talking about freshwater fish. So what I do is I add the salt to the water when I first get fish in and medicate them with antibiotics because having the salt in the water is going to prevent the fish's body from having to work so hard to maintain its osmotic regulation. It doesn't have to work so hard to keep fresh water from flowing into its body because the water surrounding it is a little bit salty because I've added salt to it. So any pressure I can take off the fish, any energy that that fish can conserve that it doesn't have to be using to maintain its osmotic regulation can then be put towards fighting off disease or recovering from the stress of shipping. So that's why I use salt. I use it purely to um, help take pressure off the fish's system so the fish can use the energy that it's saving in other ways to recover to fight disease so uh, that's what i do chris with salt now salt does hamper some things it, it can be an effective treatment for some things but not for all things and i think that it, it's its main benefit to me is just taking that lessening the uh osmotic pressure the fish is facing when it's stressed. Richard Crackle, info, wow, on samurai gourami is 4 to 5 pH. Sorry, too acidic for me. Yeah, but Richard, they say that for wild angelfish. They say that for chocolate gouramis. They say that for licorice gouramis. They say that for tons of Tetras. Like there's a lot of fish that in the wild are in really acidic conditions that does not mean that we can't successfully keep them in our hard alkaline aquarium water. What it does mean is that we have to work hard to get the fish adjusted to our water. But once that's happened, I've had a lot of those soft water species, acidic water species do really well for me when I lived in areas of the country that I had liquid rock for water, super alkaline, super high pH. So, um, I always, uh, it's, it's not you, but it's ubiquitous that, um, that in our hobby, when you read info sheets on fish and stuff, that it, it says the pH. And I'm like, well, just stating what the pH is for the fish in the wild, and it's sometimes only at certain seasons in the wild, doesn't mean that it can't live and thrive even in in other other conditions so i i kind of wish that ph just wasn't even a thing in the hobby i I kind of not completely but i kind of wish that it was something we didn't even know about and um and wasn't ever listed because i feel like people watch and and i'm not talking about you (laughs) richard by the way this just got me going (laughs) this made me think of years of of other things But who almost, we almost never have the same conditions in our aquariums as the fish have in the wild, um, pH or otherwise. So to me, it's just, I don't even pay attention to that when I get fish. What I do pay attention to is hardness. Um, If a fish comes from really hard water naturally, it's going to take a lot of work to accustom it to soft water. And that's going to take long term effort and maybe not be successful. Soft water species, once they're adjusted to hard water, tend to do well long-term without a ton of additional effort. Um, PH is useful because then it tells me, okay, this is a fish that comes from an environment that doesn't have a lot of ammonia, that doesn't have a lot of bacteria. So I'm going to have to make sure that the place I put it, it's not exposed to a lot of bacteria. That The tank's really well-cycled so that It's not going to experience an ammonia spike or a nitrite spike. Um, In that case, it's useful, but. Oh, pH, (laughs) I'm sorry, I just. (laughs) It's just not that important of a parameter. Um, There is some information that we gain from it, but yeah. Anyway, (laughs) Janice Lundberg, I watched your med treatment. Cool. Um. that's what works for me and and by the way that's my routine thing that can be adjusted if a fish comes in with a specific thing then i'll treat that specific thing instead so those are just guidelines but hope it's at least a starting point janice lundberg i was confused because you used shoot janice it cut off i'm sorry i don't know the rest Heavy rains and lots of leaf litter, says Richard Crackle. In natural environment, a lot of acidic fish means no breeding ever for me. So no go. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So I get that. So Richard, yeah, if, you're, if your goal is breeding, then you're right. A lot of those really soft, acidic water fish uh, are very difficult to breed in hard alkaline water. So that totally makes sense. Got it. Slippery fish. Hello, hello, hello. Well, Hello and goodbye i think we've reached the bottom here so janice could you complete um your thought there so i can help you out but if janice doesn't respond pretty quick here we'll probably shut this down it's been oh my gosh it's been almost two hours so jh aquatics for me hardness and tds is more important than ph yeah um for me it is too in fact it's not even tds for me it's carbonate hardness because that tds is yeah that's important but but that's everything that's in the water, whether it's meds or I don't know, all all kinds of stuff. Carbonate hardness tells me the actual buffering capacity of the water and it tells me um, pretty much, and it tells me calcium for like snails and and stuff like that, so yeah. Uh, G Cunningham, 10 bucks, hey, thanks. Thanks for all your knowledge and for your time tonight. Well, G Cunningham, you're welcome. Um, Hope I didn't offend anyone with my rant on pH, um, but I think it's a parameter that we just dig into way too much, and it's often almost meaningless. There we go. Um, Janice Lundberg, confused regarding non-cycled water. Okay. So, Janice, here's the thing. Okay. I think I figured it out. So in a normal aquarium, we have a filter, right? What that filter is, is a place for bacteria to grow, specifically nitrifying bacteria. These are bacteria that take ammonia in, in a process that k- takes a couple of steps, convert that ammonia from something that's very toxic, ammonia like you clean your glass with, right? Super toxic to something that is much, much less toxic so that when biological matter in an aquarium decomposes, ammonia is created, that will poison your fish. The bacteria in your filter convert that to something that won't kill your fish until it reaches really high concentrations, right? So that's what, it just got a little darker in here. That's um, what a biological filter does really quickly. Those bacteria are gram-negative. There's two general classes of bacteria at a very, very, you know, 30,000-foot level, gram-negative and gram-positive. Gram-positive bacteria have a cell wall or a cell membrane that is uh, less permeable or permeable in different ways than gram-negative bacteria. And it's called gram-positive because when you stain the bacteria, the cell wall or membrane will soak up The dye that you're staining with, and you'll see it, so it's called gram-positive because you get a positive result on that test, whereas gram-negative bacteria that doesn't have that cell membrane, um, when you stain it, it does not appear. So that's why it's called gram-negative. Okay, so you have these bacteria in your tank that are breaking down ammonia and keeping it healthy. They're gram-negative. Most of the diseases, at least as far as bacteria go that that make our fish sick tend to be gram negative. Now there's plenty of gram positive ones that do too, but gram negative tend to be major, major culprits. They're Aeromonas and Columnaris. So when I get fish in, I put them in tanks and I put this bacteria in that kills Aeromonas and Columnaris, but it will also kill the nitrifying bacteria in my filter. If that happens, then all that dead bacteria and all the dead stuff in the tank will create ammonia and that will poison my fish. So I'm in a situation where in quarantine tanks, if I put a filter in there um, or have have it all cycled, which means there's bacteria in there to break down ammonia, then once I put that medicine in, it's just going to kill all that stuff and I'll get ammonia. So, in that case, I don't want to use cycled water. I don't want a filter. I want a sterile environment. So, I don't have a filter. I don't, I mean, it's sterile as I can make it. It's just water that's been gassed off. So, it's got an airstone in it to, to stabilize it and gas off any dissolved nitrogen and stuff like that in gas form. Okay. And stabilize the pH. Then I put the fish in and I medicate them with that medicine that will kill gram-negative bacteria. And that's why I don't use cycled water or a filter in those systems. Um, Now, I'm not feeding in those systems too. And that might seem cruel, but it's a lot better for a fish to go without ammonia than it is to go with food. Fish are cold-blooded. They don't have the energy demands that you and I do. Um, They're not like a snake that can eat like once every few months, some big snakes, but um, they don't have to eat nearly as often because they're not working hard to keep their body temperature warm. Okay. So yes, it's, it's something that I'm sure they would like to eat, but in that kind of environment, I can't feed them because then they'll get poop and that'll result in ammonia. So the whole thing in, in a quarantine system is to keep it sterile. So you can use medicines that will treat gram-negative bacteria. That's my whole take. And that's why I don't use cycled water or cycled media or anything in those tanks because the medicine's just going to kill it anyway and create a problem for me. So instead I change 50% of the water every day or two, depending on where I'm at in the medicine cycle. And, um, I test for ammonia every day or twice a day, because if there is some ammonia that happens, then I move the fish to another tank. Because there's nothing in the tank to convert that ammonia and make it non-toxic. If that makes sense. Now, I'm a bit of an anomaly on that. A lot of people in this hobby use other medicines and use cycle tanks for quarantine and stuff like that. But I've just found that if I don't hit Columnaris and Ereomonas early in stressed fish, I can have big problems like a week or two afterwards that being said my use case is unique most hobbyists aren't bringing in lots of stressed out freshly imported fish at one time if you buy from a fresh uh, a fish store the odds are you are doing that without knowing because the fish store is doing that and putting them in their tanks and passing them on to you but if you're only getting a few fish at once then maybe it doesn't make sense to quarantine and medicate the way i do it um, but the reason I do it is because the biggest culprits I have are those gram-negative bacteria. That's what seems to wipe out fish in a hurry, in, in, in my experience, um, in the way I bring fish in. And so that's why I have to use those medicines, and that's why I can't have a cycled aquarium when I'm doing that. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Richard Crackle, thanks a lot, Dan. I left you an email on your fish store. Cool, Richard. Uh, <laughs> Richard, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Good to have you around. No offense taken. You're awesome. Well, you too, Richard. I appreciate that. Um, Janice, I get the cycling, but you didn't use it in your med treatment regime. Okay. Oh, now I get it. Okay, good. Okay, cool. Cool. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I'm basically putting bacteria in there to cycle my tank would just result in ba- dead bacteria, which would result in ammonia, which would result in dead fish. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, TM Aquatics. Hi, you're just in time, TM, um, to uh, <laughs> to come and say goodbye. Um, Lumpy Dog. Lumpy Dog really liked your video. I'm gonna have to check that out. I haven't. I don't know if I've seen your last one or not. Speaking of trolling, says Bob. Okay, let's shut this down. It's It's been two hours. Mods have uh, worked over time. Thank you. Thank you to the mods. Thank you to anyone that super chatted. Always appreciated. Never required. But seriously, makes my wife super happy. Um, anyone that helped anyone else out? I know you guys chat among yourselves a lot. And there's a lot of help going on that I don't even see because it's not directed at me or anyone that helped people with answers for stuff that I just didn't know or have experience with. Thank you so much. And last but not least, you lurkers, I'm with you. All right. Until next Wednesday, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, we're out of here. Have a good one. Bye.